Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. Trent should know by now he should have his phone on silent when he begins the program. But, yeah, you know, sometimes you got to teach a hog several times. Jenny Swigert joining us every Thursday so that we can literally connect rural and urban America. How are you, Jenny? I am fantastic. How about yourself? Did you get rid of the North American crud? We never had a North American crud, really. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't what you said. It was how you said it. Were we supposed to have a North American crud? (laughs) Were we supposed to pick something up (laughs) while we were in Louisville? Uh, I did not. Landry did not. My nephew from Payson, Illinois. He did. He had. And so, oh, my goodness, this Illinois thing with schools and you got to have a, a complete physical health check every day to get through the door. It's unbelievable. But he is not yeah. positive COVID. He's back in school. So awesome. It's all good. You brought along a friend today who's short I on bacon. Good. What's the deal? Hi, this is Danielle Hatfield. And Danielle and I met through a previous guest that we've had on here, Tiffany Knopf. And she is the founder of Blocky Conference. Back when I began as a mommy blogger, um, Bloggy Conference is really where I thought I that got was a dirty started. word, Jenny. Mommy, <laughs> mommy blogger, can we say that on the air? It is a dirty word nowadays. So it is lifestyle bloggers. Oh my goodness. Um, and Bloggy Conference was much more than just mommy bloggers. Um, Danielle and her husband brought a great amount of knowledge about just digital and social in general because that's what they do. Um, but we connected because she grew up on a farm and she has an even, I think, better story what <laughs> they have done like the last couple of years, um, kind of going back <clears throat> to their roots and going back to the basics, um, moving into a home that has been in the family for five generations. Um, so I will toss it over to Danielle so uh. you can tell us more. You, you grew up in North Carolina, Danielle? Um, I grew up a little bit of everywhere. I was born in South Carolina, mm-hmm. <clears throat> lived in New York for a very short period of time, and then my family moved to North Carolina. Uh, and then, of course, you know, I, I lived in Utah for a while and then came back to North Carolina. So it's I've been lived in New York again, and I've just kind of been all over. Okay, so the New York, South Carolina, North Carolina, that kind of makes sense. All of a sudden, Utah. Well, Yes. Mm. some boy involved wasn't there oh no 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 i had no choice in the matter my uh, parents moved there to west Valley. oh you have an arranged marriage no i escaped that thank god <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay so <laughs> back to the serious things that jitty set us up for so i have brought danielle on the show i'm gonna mention it just slightly because you can't not mention it so Hatfield is her last name, and we. Oh, I sure. I'm Hatfield sure there's a McCoy involved now, right? McCoy, possibly <laughs> un un. You know, if that's cl- classified. Sorry, we can't go into <laughs> that. But she is a Hatfield from the notorious Hatfields yes. that you hear so much about. So, what oh, so she there has, is a McCoy. No, no, it's classified. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay, I think I'm out of my helmet here. Back to farming. (laughs) But what she has, and I hope that she provides our audience, is like 
the biggest wealth of knowledge of genealogy and history and just little stories that have made up what our country is. And I think that we all need to go and do a little studying. You had mentioned Mm -hmm. that on your show on Monday, Trent, that one of the large problems that we have is the lack of history. Yeah. Factual history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Factual. Yeah. Right. Um, And what, what actually formed our country. And so. uh, Just interrupt briefly because it happened yesterday Uh, on this program. Hank Vogler talked about it and he brought to light that when Columbus discovers North America, wherever he discovered it, it doesn't matter. um, There was not one Indian tribe. There were warring Indian tribes that were about protecting their land, protecting their women, protecting what they had. And and so I posted that on social media. And there was an individual, John, uh, I'm not being critical of John. He said he had a college professor that taught him that wasn't the case, that they all just lived in harmony. How <laughs> stupid can you be to teach that and, and fall into this trap of the history wasn't what it really was? Uh, Danielle, I'll put that in the form of a question. What, in your mind, what's the biggest uh, fake news, coin the term of the day, about yeah. history that just drives you nuts, that people think happened that really didn't? Hmm. Do I have to pick just one? No, you don't. I, I really, off the top of my head, I, I don't know. I'm struggling to, to just find something to, that leaps out at me, but mm-hmm. my head's been so buried in genealogy. All I, all I see is numbers. <laughs> but stories. they did notice this week. Um, do you have your phone that you can show oh, and talk yeah. about the Tillis? Oh, that was interesting. So yeah. this is something that <laughs> may go down in history. Um, and I'll let you explain because it's your backyard. And Yeah. Well, we were, my husband and I were watching, you know, just trying to figure out uh, because there are so many states are coming uh, with new lockdown measures, right? So we wanted to find out what was going on in North Carolina. And so we were watching the broadcast of the briefing from the governor here. And we always watch it with closed captions, you know, in case the dog barks or, you know, I talk. Right. (laughs) That way my husband can still see it. Well, we were watching it and my husband caught this. And so uh, he, he didn't say this, but the closed captions, uh, had this and and Tillis is a senator here in North Carolina and I don't know if you can whoop there we go you see where it says the deadly threat that is Tillis yep um I just thought that was really that's odd not what he said <laughs> at all yeah no that's not what he said but that's what came across as the cl- on the closed captions and I just thought that was really interesting and the governor is a democrat and Tillis is a newly elected republican I believe newly elected uh, I believe he's reelected Like I said, I I still have to figure out what's going on here in North Carolina. So somehow in the closed captions, it was pointing blame for COVID to this Republican senator rather than what he really said, which was Mm -hmm. it's the biggest threat. Something about itself. Yeah. So it it it's just very odd. So and we got into a deep censorship discussion after that. This is completely different than what you're talking about, except when I'm speaking in a country where they're they're doing interpretation and translation as I go, I often wonder, what are they telling them I'm saying? 
And that right. applies here yeah. in that you say something and you assume that everybody's getting the message of what you said. Maybe you're getting a completely different message. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a challenge. And that's why we, I think we all need to, to talk with each other. Uh, why well, I enjoyed, you know, chatting with Jenny last night. It was just catching up on, on, you know, what's been going on with us. And we talked extensively about, uh, you know, talking about history. Um, I think it was probably around 2012, well, 2014, my mother passed away. She had Alzheimer's. And after her passing, um, I really got into genealogy. And as I explained to Jenny, I wanted to kind of take my existence out of the hands of just my parents mm -hmm. and find the stories of the people who had to survive just for me to be here. And, and so in that discovery process, and this was, you know, uh, recently, because <clears throat> I have... I showed Jenny last night. This is just this week's, uh, I know no, all the radio listeners can't, but it's about two inches. Oh, my goodness. So that's just this week's research. Is that my <laughs> um, homework? It could be. Oh. It could be. It could be. But I, I was just, I was astounded to find out that my uh, great-grandfather, fourth removed, uh, John McGee, uh, fought in the Revolutionary War. And, you know, I wanted to learn more. And so what I was able to find online was that he was captured at sea by British forces, uh, forced to serve with the English. He later escaped um, uh, on landing in New England, and he joined the Continental Army under General Washington. Um, he took the Oath of Allegiance in 1778 um, and served in the Pennsylvania militia. Uh, what was really interesting is um, just not just finding that out, but also finding his name on the Valley Forge uh, muster roll. And, you know, one of the things that I came across uh, in studying because I wanted to learn more about Valley Forge, what happened at Valley Forge, you know, from you know, December of 70, uh, 1777 to June of 1778, what did those men go through and what did my ancestor go through? Um, mm -hmm. So that that was really that really pulled me into just reaffirming that me spending all of this this time doing, you know, genealogy was worth it because I had an ancestor that fought for this country. We will pick it up with Valley Forge and those who fought for our freedom with Daniel Hatfield, Jenny Swigert, and Trent Luce. The Stand at Paxton County is a movie on Netflix, which doesn't it, it does talk about history. It's inspired by a true story, and you need to watch it, because on this particular day that an individual is representing an elephant for personhood in a courtroom... That's why you need to watch The Stand at Paxton County. If you don't know about Happy the Elephant, look that up, too. We'll be back with more Roll Route right after this. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Luce, Jenny Swigert. I am no longer bragging about my ancestors coming to Illinois from Germany in 1832. Daniel Hatfield's great uncle three times. I want a great-grandfather. Great-grandfather. In the Revolutionary War at Valley Forge, Jenny. Yeah. Yes. I want to point out a parallel real quick and then continue, please. Look, think of um, history as social media in general. And we all get into our little cliques and groups, kind of like her parents. Mm -hmm. So most of the information that she derived as a child came directly from her parents, mm -hmm. not from everyone that came before. And I think that as a society, we get so into what is happening in those cliques or what is happening to those cliques or whatnot 
that we forget there's a whole other world out there and our history, there's so much history. And I'll let you pick it up from there because it, it's about doing the hard work. It's about going and researching, but it almost becomes kind of addicting, I think. It is very addictive to do this research. And I don't just focus on my family. I also um, work on, I'm working on genealogy for my husband. Um, like he said, he's the fifth generation to live on the, you know, in, in what is now known as Carborough. Uh, his, I believe it's his great, great, great grandfather was um, the first known carpenter here. Uh, he was brought here before the Alberta cotton mill was built. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I love about us, we moved, you know, to Carborough a few years ago, in part to live next door to and take care of his parents and be here for them so that they can age in place. And he's the third generation to, to do that. And that's a real honor. And um, it's important that the, the stories don't get lost because so many times uh, our elders, they have just a wealth of information. Um, and it's not just the family Bible. It's, it's stories that they remember. And for me, it's just, I would encourage anybody just to take the time to try to record what you can while you have your elders alive. Would you go back to age in place? Yes. Um, it's just aging in place so that they can live in their own home with dignity. Um, and we're right next door. The house that we live in next door to what, what they used to, what they call the big house. It's only a two bedroom house, but right. um, the house that we live in originally uh, was just a, a, a workshop mm -hmm. and it was actually uh, constructed partly from munitions crates from when um, they, I think it was in the four, uh, 40, 42, the National Munitions Corporation converted uh, one of the mills into mill number seven uh, into shell loading plant. And so some of the boxes, the crates were used for these walls in the in this little part of uh, our home. Yeah. And that history that it's really important to, to write down those stories and uh, appreciate that, you know, we're living in, a, you know, a small cottage. It's about 601 square feet. Um, but we're living in a place that has been touched by many generations. Many people have lived here and it's a, it's an honor to, to carry that on. I, I don't want to take away from the overall premise, but I just love that concept of age in place. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we put uh, our parents in homes and I, I see things happening that just shouldn't be happening. Right. There, 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 there's so many people that just get, um, pushed into uh, a home thinking that they're going to get good care. And I can tell you, right. my, mother, my, my mother died in a, in a home. Um, she needed round the clock care. And I understand mm -hmm. why people do that. However, um, I was there, you know, for the last six days of her life. Um, and it was traumatizing the noises, the beepings, the people coming into the room every two hours. And, as as much as I appreciate all of the hard work that people do in the nursing homes, mm -hmm. I also understand the importance of offering our elders the opportunity to age in place with dignity. It, my, my statement had nothing to do with the people that provide care. I mean, yeah. I do not understand. We have our middle daughter worked in a nursing home over the summer. 
and mm-hmm. the appreciation, appreciation, the respect that I have for people that show up to do that is incredible. Uh-huh. But I've also had that discussion with my daughters. You put me in a place like that, and it's not going to be kind on you, girls. But yeah. uh, to Tommy Carano's point, was kind of back to the little subject that we need to talk about. Oh, um, good point, Thomas. Yeah, they really tried to erase history and control the narrative. That's what's happening. Yeah, it's, and that's again why the genealogy and uh, is so important, so that we don't lose that history. And one of my biggest uh, concerns and frustrations, actually, is that there's so much genealogy that are, that is behind paywalls. Mm. Um, where oh, sure. all, every all of the research that I'm doing, I'm doing with free tools, um, because I'm I'm not paying forty dollars a month to have access to my family's you know history. I know it's wonderful, and I know that it's probably you know well done, but I feel kind of like I need to do the hard work myself, and and I'm really enjoying trying to find all of the free resources that are out there because not everyone can afford forty dollars a month to have access to their family history. Nor should they. How do you feel about the statues, the monuments that were built, you know, decades ago, centuries ago, that have now been torn down? How do you, I mean, to me, that's like trying to erase history. You can't erase history. And whether the statue is there, right or wrong, that has a story to it and it has a lesson there that can be learned. I do understand the side where it can be disrespectful to others to continue to see that, but I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Why is that? It's not disrespectful to continue to see something that actually happened or someone who played a role in history, good or bad. It serves as a reminder of what not to do again. And when you oh, eliminate somebody saying. who yes. is, you, that that did something disrespectful for humans, you're going to repeat it. <laughs> that was a large conversation we had last night is the repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, Trent, I totally agree with that. Um, I just wanted to be respectful to those who, I guess, feel that it is disrespectful in some ways. Those are their family members. But like, Danielle and I talked at length about how history is repeating itself. If you just go and you look, not at what the news is saying, but go and research the 1918 pandemic, the Spanish flu, which actually started, no offense, Trent, sorry, but in in Nebraska. No, it started in Kansas. Are you certain? Yeah, 100%. Haskell, I think, to be exact. Haskell, Kansas. But it got the name of Spanish flu because that was the country that the only country during the war, World War, World War One, that mm-hmm. did not censorship any of their media. Mm-hmm. So that's how it became called the Spanish flu. It has nothing to do with where it started, but that's what I had always believed until I started doing the history and doing the hard work. And by yeah. the way, <clears throat> excuse me, it killed 50 million people. 50 million people. One one minute. So talk a little bit about some other things that you're seeing being repeated. Danielle. Um, repeated as far as? We didn't learn from what our ancestors our 
yeah, our oh, mistakes. Oh, well, and, and this goes back to the importance of history, whether we agree with what has happened or not, whether we agree with, you know, uh, any particular, like as an example, Valley Forge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, thank goodness for the Valley valleyforgemusterroll.org or else I would have never found this information on my ancestor. So it's important for us to understand the history, good or bad, as Trent said, so that we don't repeat it. And ultimately, you want to learn from your mistakes and you want to become a better person or a stronger community. And that's really important, too. And that really starts with your home, your family and whoever that family is. And if you um, a lot of people don't have extended families, they're cut off, they're isolated, but they can still research their genealogy and learn the story um, of their family. Very true. So when we come back, Danielle, I want you to speak to how tough it is to find that factual information. You mentioned that there there's some paywalls that want you to pay, but I, I want to know, I think people uh, listening want to know how they can start doing that and how tough it is to find factual information. But before I let you go this time, I'll remind you about some true story. This is not fake news. You can get paid well to produce certified Piedmontese beef, Lone Creek Cattle Company, I'm going to call it has mastered, and I realize genetics are never completely perfect, but we've mastered Americanized the Piedmontese cattle. That means that they do calve easy, they grow well, and you get paid well. In today's climate of commodity farm products is across the board, you need to find your niche. And our niche at our place, a $180 premium over feeder calf price. Steers and heifers, same price. Thanks to Lone Creek Cattle Company and the system. Marlon Will has full details. Get those by finding him at www.lonecreekcattleco.com. It is the certified Piedmontese system. More rural route after this. Welcome back to Rural Route. Trat Loose alongside. What do you have against Belted Galloway, Jenny? I I was laughing at you and yeah. well, the amount of information and text you receive. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um they're really good. Willoughby is really good about letting you know what's taking place. And uh, the Belt to Galloway sale has just started at the North American, in case you're curious. Danielle Hatfield joining us from is it Garbo? Carbo. 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 North Carolina. Carboro. <laughs> yep, Carboro. So the question at hand, how tough is it to find factual information? Uh, it's really tough. Uh, not as tough as it was, say, 10 years ago. Um, I can remember going with my father and using microfiche to, to, to search for Oh, things. my goodness. <laughs> Isn't that a blast of the past? Oh, oh yeah. Um, but now, thank, thanks to the Internet of Things, uh, it's gotten a little bit easier. One of my favorite sites to use is findagrave.com. There are wonderful people that go out and photograph cemeteries and you know write down all the information. And that's one of the free resources that I use. However, I also will say it's important to go and, and double check that and go and find other sources of that information. Do you tell people publicly you search find a grave regularly? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Uh, So uh, I'm thinking that the internet makes it easier and tougher because it's easier to get information. 
when you went to find that microfish that was hidden in some drawer back in some building, you knew that was reliable stuff. Now you can find something on the internet and you have to determine whether it's, it's authentic or not. Right. And it's, it's very similar to, you know, my, my great grandfather fourth removed, um, finding his name on the Valley, Valley Forge muster roll confirmed what I had found elsewhere. And so, like I said, it's, it's just really important, um, to keep looking for, for sources. Uh, you can search for deeds. Um, you can search for probates. Uh, you're looking at historical maps. If you know that your family lived in a certain area, um, checking city directories. Uh, some of the old city directories are, are on file. Uh, historical societies are very helpful. Um, and also there is a great website that I recently discovered called AmericanAncestors.org. Uh, they have a wonderful series of webinars on YouTube. And what I've started doing is every morning I will watch an hour-long uh, uh, webinar that they've put uh, up available and they they offer you tips on how to search for your ancestors and where you can go to find information um, there's also a uh, wiki tree which is also helpful but uh, there's a lot of different things that you can do and it comes down to finding the the needle in the haystack uh, in the digital world is knowing what to search for and understanding that people's names, the spelling of your family right now, the spelling of your family name right now <clears throat> may be much different than it was mm -hmm. when they were uh, alive. And so as an example, John McGee on his gravestone, McGee, uh, are, the family name now is spelled M-C-G-E-E. -E. However, his name was spelled M-C-G-H-E-E. -E. And so sometimes people hit brick walls with their genealogical research because uh, they're, they're searching for a particular name. And it's just a simple misspelling that could change your world in, in, as far as what you're able to find on your family. It, I hear that's a, a lot of times because the person at Ellis Island was just too quick and they wrote something out that maybe left the H out. But I got to believe most of the time it's because two brothers – it's probably two brothers' wives started not getting along, so they didn't want to be related to them anymore. <laughs> what, what do you believe to be the truth? Um, I think it's more that uh, the spellings kind of change over time. Uh, there were a lot of people, it was, uh, they spelled it how it sounded. And so right. if, if they didn't know it was, or other people who were literate mm -hmm. and could write, um, maybe it didn't make that translation from, you know, the, the spelling. Um, and I've actually found uh, other spellings of the last name. And as I go further back in my genealogy, I see that the name is spelled differently yet again. As really? the further I go back. Yeah. And so history can also change your name and you're going to laugh my maiden name was Schneerman. And yes, I joked I was going to hyphenate and it was going to be Schneerman Schweigert. But when... Well, I'm glad you didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to verify this, especially after part of the conversation Danielle and I had. But from what I understand, our name, our last name was actually Von Schweigert or Von mm -hmm. Schneerman. And during the war, it w the Vaughn was dropped, so people didn't think that there was association with Nazis. Hmm. But again, well, I need to verify that. But, you know, historical events right. may have also played a part in the right. changing of last names. Yeah. Oh, I think that's probably the biggest thing, Danielle, don't you? 
Yeah, I've, I've found that um, recently doing uh, genealogy for my father's, uh, excuse me, my husband's uh, mother's side of the family on her uh, paternal side. And their last name was Looney. And uh, I, through m- lots of research, found that originally it was O'Looney. Mm. And so then mm. that, that, that changed. Again, you know, if, you're, if people are hitting a brick wall with their genealogy, research the last name of your family. And a lot of times there's some, some websites out there or information where you can see the different spellings of the name. And that may help break the log jam of, of information. I, I think, Jenny, I think you're onto something. I'm guessing that a lot of people modified their name slightly just to give a different perception of maybe where they were from. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I'm yeah. thinking of, you know, most people don't, speaking one part of history that I didn't know anything about until a friend of mine in, uh, well, he lives in Rapid City now, Mike Fell, originally from Nebraska, uh, he he wrote a screenplay for a movie about how the Japanese were treated and put in internment camps during world war two. And I could see where people would want to hide and, and hide their Japanese heritage during that period of time. Now his particular screenplay is about those who were proud and, and prevailed, but still that, that pressure has to have always been there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would agree with that a hundred percent. And but if your name was Looney, you might want to just you know go back to O Looney. <laughs> well, I mean, it's there's a lot of different uh, spellings. It's crazy. Just but understanding where that also get you know gives me a place where they came from. Right. Oh, so it's it's you know for for my family, it's uh, a lot of uh, Irish, of of course, with a name like McGee, um, and then you know Hatfield being English. And so I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm one of the very, very lucky ones that I have uh, family history that I can actually find. It's, it's, it's taken me a while. And I know your, your radio listeners can't see this, but um, American Ancestors offers free uh, blank paper uh, that you can find, uh, you can fill out your family history. And so this has actually helped me tremendously you know, really get methodical and seeing who I'm missing, what's, you know, trying to find the women. And that's, don't even get me started on trying to find history on the women because I'm sometimes. What about the history on the women, Daniel? I'm very lucky sometimes just to get a first name. Um, I'll give you an example. There is on uh, my, the the McGee side. uh, Once I get past a certain point, um, there's just, there's nothing but, blank. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I have nothing to go for and I just, I give up. I get mad. I throw my pen down. Well, when a McGee hey. becomes a Hatfield, it's sometimes it's tra- hard to track down the McGee's. I mean, that's a true story. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I have the is best this of why, Do you think that this is why people do not understand the history of bees and the history of honey? Hmm. How much time do we have left? I, I got two and a half minutes, which doesn't appear to be near enough time to talk about bees, honey, and maiden names disappearing. <laughs> so for our listeners, what we are talking about, uh, because both Trent and Danielle know this um, story, uh, a while ago I learned that during World War II, 
when all the men went to war, there was no one there left here to process sugar. So what the women did was they started beehives and lots and lots of beehives. And so honey was what was used in place of that sugar. So when everyone, all of the men returned from war, then what happened? They went back to using sugar. And so that is where the honeybee decline began. And the highest number of bees was in 2014. So you hear all of this about the bee decline and what's killing the bees and all of this, but no one knows the story of how it was, you know, decades ago and how we got to where we are now. Right. And maybe it's because women were involved and that's why that history is lost. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and you remember, I said, we talked last night about how my husband um, is, we're now keeping bees. Uh, we have a small apiary. We were up to seven hives. Um, unfortunately, we're down to four now uh, due, due to some uh, small hive beetles. But his great grandfather uh, kept bees on this property. And so for us, it was really important to bring that back. And so that's been really wonderful. I haven't tasted any honey yet. But uh, it's just really important that, that we, we do that because uh, it's also teaching us so much and connecting us with nature in a way that um, sometimes in living in an urban area, you lose. You lose mm -hmm. that sense of, of place and, you know, taking care of the bees. My husband does a wonderful job, and I'm just so proud of him for, for picking that back up from what his great-grandfather had and he was known as the bee man of Carborough. People would write really, yes. People would just write bee man of Carborough, and they would deliver the the letters. They knew who it was. Well, they didn't want to put Hatfield on there because they were afraid what might happen. Ah, uh, he was a Williams. Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, and by the way, whether you've eaten any honey or not, one in three bites of food comes thanks to a bee pollinating something. Mm -hmm. That's a massive number. Think about that. A third of all food is a result of a bee pollinating something. Which is, again, why it's important to, to you know, mm -hmm. plant uh, bee-friendly plants in your, in your yard. And we need to take a break. It'll be our last break of the day. Neogen is providing some sort of ancestry. You can look at the genomics of your food animals and determine what qualities are there that will be passed along to the offspring, such as eating qualities, maybe disease resistance, particularly a lot of genetic traits we've been selecting for. Ironically, Danielle, you might find it interesting, the largest movement in the genomic testing is in pets because people want to know, is my border collie from Scotland? Hey. <laughs> Neogen.com to shine a light on your genetic future. We'll take a break. We'll be back with the final segment of Roll Route right after this. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Luce alongside. I've got all the beauty and the brains along here today. <laughs> That's Jenny and Danielle both. All in one Thank spot. You. Yeah. I was wondering where that was going to go. <laughs> so uh, I'm smarter than that, Jenny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to throw out an example of something that happened recently. And I would like to hear your advice, Danielle. Okay. So in Illinois, there is a bill that has been sitting out there. And it's about daylight savings time being removed. 
And even up to the last couple of days before that date, whenever it was supposed to be removed, there were folks who still thought that it was the bill had been passed and the state has decided that we are going to do away with this. And I would say, actually, here's this website. It's our it's our government. It's our assembly. You can go there and you can see the bill actually ended up being stopped because of COVID. And no, it's not been passed. And a response that I received was, well, but I heard on such and such news source <laughs> that that's not true. And I think that that's happening a lot more than what we realize. Yeah. What, what is I your agree. advice? Well, my advice is uh, just like with genealogy, do your research. Take a few minutes, go out there, and if you're if you're going to find information, go to the government websites. Uh, that's your your best bet uh, most of the time. It's 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 where you can go and actually find out what's going on. But ultimately, <clears throat> it's looking past the headlines, um, looking beyond what is uh, profitable for the media companies, and digging a little bit deeper and finding the information that you need so that you're more aware. It's it, And like I said, I compare it to genealogy. It takes research and you have to um, look beyond and, and dig a little bit deeper. And that's important. And also when you find something like that, because I, during the elections, my mom is an election judge and oversees an election um, location. And when the news article came Did out. Did she use a Sharpie day, or a pencil to alter those ballots? I'm just curious. <laughs> Oh, she would be mad if you yeah. heard you say that. Give her my phone number. <laughs> I will. Go I ahead. Will. Go ahead, Jen. So, so in the the headline was Martha Schneerman or Marty Schneerman very concerned about COVID and well, there has been a lot of fraud actually. But at the time it said and fraud <laughs> that she was very concerned about fraud. And the COVID part I could I could get totally. But on the actual recording, she says, not once, but twice, I have absolutely no concerns, no concerns mm -hmm. whatsoever about COVID or there being something done, you know, funky with the, the ballots. Mm -hmm. And so I did push on our local paper, the Panagraph, and I think I'm going to push harder now because I just kind of let it go, even though I pointed it out to them. Nothing did change. And if we don't push, it's just going to continue to happen. And it's, it's very frustrating. And I am from, you know, I'm, I have experience in the journalism world. And I understand that you have to have those ads and you have to have the readers and viewers in order to get those ads to continue making a profit so that the organization can continue. But not at the price of changing history. Right. Yeah. The, the, I, I think, again, going back to um, looking for the facts and uh, when something like that happens, you have an audio recording. Am I correct? You have a video or an audio it's recording? A video. Okay, it it's is a video. It is a video. Um, yes. And, and just point, like you said, you have to point it out, but um, there's this, cartoon I think that you've probably seen it where uh, it's all of these people standing in line and it says comforting lies 
uncomfortable truth and there's no one in line for the uncomfortable truth. <laughs> and, you know, it, it goes back to what we talked about last night about um, what you had just said. There is a for-profit model, um, just like our healthcare system, another topic, uh, that it's, it's the rage clicks. It's, it's outrage clicks. It's there, you know, and people not reading beyond the, the headlines. And a lot of times if, if you're scrolling through your feed and all you're seeing and all you're consuming is just the headlines and not clicking through to the story and then going, you know what, I think I'm going to research this a little bit more to find out what's really going on. And then going in, you know, I don't know, you know, pick up a copy of the constitution. Maybe spend some time reading that. This one. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I, I was given this by my mother-in-law and I've, I've started reading it because it had been a long time and I, I'm taking my own education in my hands and it's up to me to, to know what's going on. But it's also up to me to know that what I'm, I'm reading and what I'm consuming and what I'm sharing with other people is, you know, it's as factual as it, as it can be. And so that's also important. And we all need to understand that we're work, we're in this together. The whole idea yeah. is, is building a stronger community. And Jenny, we talked about this last night is, you know, what I loved about the story of Carborough and there is a, a, a quote that I came across, if you don't mind me reading it. Um, no, that's it, awesome. It was, it's, it was, I, I found this and it really, it really touched me because it, it, embodies what this town was. It's an, it was a very poor mill town. Um, and Wilbur, uh, Wilbur Parton wrote this in 1982. And he said, June 1938 ended an era of the mill village life, but it was more than a village. It was a haven, a community of good, hardworking, honest, poor people who never gave up and never refused their neighbors in trouble. People who played together, went to school together, work together and worship together and through the good and the bad stuck together. Carborough today is a far cry from the old mill village, but some of it is left. And I hope and pray can be preserved for coming generations that might see a part of what my generations and the ones before it knew so well. And that's really what it is. It's, it's us, you know, coming together to take care of each other, regardless of, of what our our political views are, whatever, whatever, whatever it is, if someone's in need or, you know, be kind to your neighbor, regardless of what political sign they have in their front yard. Be kind. I think in order for our country to begin change, mm. we need to first look at the cancel culture, look at uh. the rage clicks, and we need to band together to stomp some of that out, call people out. And it's not hard to do. I know that what that's that hard truth. A rage click would be, um, oh, Danielle, you had a great example last night. Um, just, just you're, you're, you, you read something and it's, it, it, it's meant to out, you know, get you to yeah. click it, get you to right. share it, and for you to be angry. And for you to, you know, rage out online uh, to the people or, or about the thing. And when you're in that kind of blind rage, you're not thinking logically. You're not, you know, uh, maybe in possession of, of all of your compassion. Right. <laughs> yeah, your compassion. And it's um, often you mean tied you're out of to control? cancel culture. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and it, you know, it, it hurts. It's it, people have lost their, their livelihoods. Um, they've had to move. I've seen people where their children were, were threatened. Uh, people have uh, shown where these, their children go to school to intimidate and threaten them. Um, it, so let me ask a question because uh, social media certainly can accelerate that. Mm. Yes. And we do talk about Carborough, and I know that there was more of a sense of community then and now. And, it be, you know, the key word in that quote was poor mm-hmm. because yeah. people didn't have any resources. They didn't have a luxury of doing things without the assistance of their neighbors. And so as we become more affluent as a society, I mean, let's face it, most of us don't, uh, we're not short on food. We're not short on most things that we, the essentials that we need. Um, so that, that was the key component that pulled everybody together. You can still find what you described in Mexico, go find a community where people buy a brick a day to build their house when they work. But I also don't believe that social media is created some new monster. I think what you just described, Danielle, happened in those days as well. The social media platform was the local coffee shop where everybody got together talking about people. And there were people that left because they couldn't handle the pressure. But when you don't have, yeah, spot on. Mm -hmm. But when you don't have the resources and the, the essentials of life so easily, you sometimes you don't have a choice. Right. And this is where it comes back to, um, you know, just just caring for your neighbor and being being kind. You know, I do meal prep. I uh, started doing meal prep. I'm, I'm working really hard on uh, what Jenny and I talked about last night <clears throat> is slowing down. And, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm getting back to I know the radio folks can't see this, but, you know, hand sewing, uh, not using my sewing machine because it it it's a. It's almost a religious act uh, to sit with a thread and needle and just be quiet and, and take some time to step Get back away from the basics, step away, you know, put the phone down, step away from the computer. I'm not saying completely, you know, ban it, but take some time away to spend, you know, enjoy what you're cooking. Uh, do your best to uh, spend time outside spend time with, with, with people that you love. And that's without taking a picture and taking the time to post it on Instagram or TikTok right. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's a challenge too, is because with uh, social media as, as wonderful as it is to connecting people, uh, it also has a dark side. Jenny, final, final thought, 30 seconds, 30 seconds. So yep. You know, I hope what everyone takes away today from Danielle is I, I am personally inspired by her work and hard work um, going back and looking at history and looking at genealogy. And I encourage everyone to do that hard work and don't take what you see on social media, whether it's from a journalist or a person, don't take that for truth, because I'm thinking a lot of times it's not anywhere close to the truth. And take time to yourself. Get back to the basics. Mm hmm crochet net you know the yeah. common denominator in everybody's conversation today hard work hard you need work. to do the hard work and you will feel more rewarded for it and my final thought 44 million people in the world are living with alzheimer's 5.8 million americans are living with alzheimer's 15 million families deal with it on a regular basis had i known danielle i would have been wearing my purple rag today 
to make sure people remember those families dealing with Alzheimer's as I lost my father in 2017 from the same horrible disease. We've successfully journeyed down the road, reminding people that hard work is the key. All three of us remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route in Garborough, North Carolina. <laughs>